Welcome to Sportin' Live. Introducing your host, Ed Draper. Hello there. Welcome along to the podcast Sport and Life. How are you? Hope you're well. Had some bright, clear blue skies, albeit frosty mornings in Cheltenham in the west of England last week and the last few days. Been beautiful. Just get that sense that maybe spring isn't a million miles away. As I say, they're still very cold. The night's slightly lighter, which is great. Hope things are good where you are as uh, maybe the pandemic waters start to recede a little bit. And uh, yeah, hope you have a good week ahead to come. Thank you for hitting on the button. Thank you to the sponsors, Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham and Serene AV, who are specialists in some of the finest home entertainment brands, providing solutions based around high quality customer service and installations. Check out Jason Briggs and his team, BO underscore Cheltenham on social media. And you can also uh, reach them, I think, through the website, Bang Olufsen Cheltenham. Get the phone number there for Jason and his team. And through that company, Serene AV, you always stress it's not just Bang Olufsen's fine equipment they can supply you with. They can offer you a bespoke solution, design, vision, whatever suits your budget, what you're after, big screens, home entertainment systems, and basically whatever matches uh, your needs and um, your vision. Yeah, so check out Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham and Serene AV. Also, uh, Thank you to Cytoplan, food-based supplement company, housed not far from here in the west of England in a beautiful village of Hanley Swan as you approach the rolling Malvern Hills. Um, and more importantly, in terms of health and nutrition, my father, Dr. Mark Draper, has worked there as a consultant, a lecturer, seminar leader for 20 plus years, assisting in some of the ingredients as well in terms of devising the supplements, which are food-based, so to be digested as food would be. So to be have a higher likelihood of, of being absorbed by the body, that's the, the theory. I'm not a scientist per se, but you can look up cytoplan.co.uk, C-Y-T-O-P-L-A-N.co.uk. Under the stewardship of my father, I take the Immune Complete range, Immune Complete 2 for me, Immune Complete 1 for women who are menstruating, and there's also Immunovite, kids Immunovite for, for young children as well. So it's worth having a look, but also bespoke specific vitamins, vitamins you may call them depending on where you are in the world, but uh, vitamin D3 at this time of year with the sunshine, pretty short supply and the sun that is there, not necessarily enough to jack up those systems for that vital vitamin to be produced in our bodies. And uh, you may look at other supplementation, iron, if you're deficient, that kind of thing. But they're all on cytoplan.co.uk and the discount code at checkout is my last name, Draper. The number's one zero and the capital letter R. So it's Draper10R. Well, thank you for tuning in to the podcast. Looking forward to this one, or for you to listen to this one with Aaron McLean. It looks like Aaron McLean to some people. He's been called that a lot through his footballing career, uh, story career, really, actually. Another another player built himself up from non-league, ended up playing in the Premier League, just one, one of, uh, appearance, I believe, for Hull City. But a great career at the likes of Peterborough United, plays at Grey's Athletic in, in non-league as well. Ended up in non-league at Ebbsfleet United, actually went full cyclist career. Now he's working as an analyst at Sky Sports. And have a candid conversation as well 
with Aaron as a, a black man about his perception of the coaching world because he has tried to get jobs in coaching, has had some experience in coaching, has his qualifications. So he's, uh, he's very honest and open about that, about being difficult. You don't see yourself aligned with the image, maybe the subconscious image of what a football manager in the UK looks like. Typically, we, we discuss the white bloke with grey hair. But it's a candid, open conversation. He's a fun guy. He's an infectious guy. And I think he's um, very... Uh, I don't know, a very good person to be around. So here he is. I hope you enjoy it. The uh, one and only Aaron McLean. The one and only Aaron McLean joins the podcast, not Aaron McLean, as, uh, <laughs> as have you been called for your entire distinguished football career, Aaron? Um, it's, it's, good, it's good to clear that one up, isn't it? First and foremost. Yeah, it's nice for people to actually know what my real name is now. It's... Um... Yeah, I've had, what, 20 years of, of people saying it wrong, which, don't get me wrong, I don't mind. It, it doesn't bother me how how it's said, but, yeah, it's actually Aaron McLean, so it's nice you, to people. You've you got, you got a first name and a last name that people can interpret in different ways, so it gets, and they get they go with the kind of, I guess, Scottish way, don't they, the McLean or whatever it is, yeah. Yeah, and a lot of people used to ask me if I've got Scottish Scottish roots or Scottish background and stuff, but. I definitely haven't. It's definitely, um, it's definitely said in a different yeah. way. And yeah, finally, for after twenty odd years, people actually ask me my name, and and now people get it right. Well, it looks like McLean, doesn't it? That's the thing as well. So it's um, it's it's as it as it says, which isn't always the case in the the English language. But how are you? You were on FA Cup duty at Sky Sports News, where you my my home at the weekend. I saw. Yeah, it was good. It was um, it was nice to to cover one of my old teams in Hull. Yeah. Um, and they were unlucky, really, really unlucky, really good performance. Um, Grant McCann's got them, he's got them yeah. going and, and they were definitely up for that game. Um, and it was just unfortunate that, that Andrus Townsend was back <laughs> from his broken foot earlier than expected and, and hit an absolute rocket into the top corner. But yeah, the, it, was, it was good to be back at Sky and, and yeah, really good game. Yeah, brilliant. They lost to, to Everton in the, in the FA Cup, Andrus Townsend, with a wonderful goal. I think it was interesting because we'll talk about commentary and, and holding other players in judgment because I heard a lot of people criticising. I think the whole goalkeeper is saying it could have been saved, but it's always easier to say that from the outside than it is when you've got that swerving ball coming coming at you. But what about the FA Cup? How special was that to you as a, a player? Because you ended up, you played, I mean, I'm trying to figure out how many levels you played at, but you played pretty much, what, top six, top seven league? You played in the Premier League as well, but I guess you would have been the underdog a lot in the, the Cup matches. How special was the, the FA Cup? I loved it. I loved the FA Cup. I, I used to, my, my, my favourite memory of, of the FA Cup would have been when, when I was at Peterborough. We was, in, um, we was in League Two. Yeah. And we played against Colchester, who were in, in the Championship at the time. And... We'd, we, you know, we had a lot of new signings in myself, Mikel Smith, George Boyd, and we were we were making a little bit of noise in League Two, but it was this was going to be our first real test, you know, up against a, a championship team, and and to see whether or not we were almost as good as, as as everyone's making us out to be, or whether we were just doing well at the level we was at, and yeah, yeah, we went to we went to La Road and and we absolutely battered them. I think we ended up beating them about three one. Brilliant. Three and four, three score? one, and uh, I scored, um, and yeah, we just battered them. We battered them, and then I think from there, us as a team grew in confidence even more, um, knowing that we were we were better equipped for for a higher level. Um, and I think more people started to kind of take notice of us um, as a team. There. 
Yeah, you had a great time, Peach. But that's the amazing thing about English football, isn't it? The, the, the underdog versus favourite, the big big boy status changes, doesn't it? You see that fluidity. When you look at the FA Cup, you're like, oh, hang on a minute, they're now League Two. You know, Colchester at that time are way ahead of you, probably Peterborough ahead of them now. It's it's interesting how that flips around in terms of who the, the big boy is. That's what's great about the, the game is the, the ability to aspire to, to more, isn't it? There's no ceiling in, in English football other than the Premier League, obviously. 100%. And listen, obviously, finances help to dictate that to a degree because mm. teams that, that have the ability to go and, and sign good players will evidently end up climbing the pyramid a, a lot quicker. You know, Peterborough were, at the time, had a new owner in Durham McAntony um, and they were able, what, what they did really well is they went into non-league and they just handpicked the best players as mm. opposed to going to, to higher divisions and, and trying to, to get players to come down a level, they went and got the young, hungry players who wanted to, to go and play in the league and wanted to go and achieve things. They got the best crop and then put them together. And then we were able to then kick on. And as we improved as individuals, we improved as a team and, and it, it benefited the club. So it's it, like you say, in English football, it's just, it's one season you can be fighting for promotion. Another <laughs> season you can be fighting relegation. It's it, it's never boring, put it that yeah. way. There's never a dull moment in, in the English Football League. Yeah, it's fascinating watching my local club, Cheltenham Town, actually, because they've gone from conference a few years ago under Gary Johnson. He got them back up and then Michael Dust taking them up to League One. And they're sort of just below mid-table in League One, which would be their highest ever finish. But you think they were sort of up until, I think, 1999, would never a, a professional club in the in the top tier of in the Football League. They turned pro just before that. So it's amazing how you can aspire and how you can dream. I think Michael's quite interesting. He's similar to you in the sense he's got this thing of playing in eight ascending leagues up to the Premier League. He did that that run and I've spoken to him a few times on the podcast. When you look at it, because you mentioned Peterborough getting those players from the, the conference, how deep is the, is the talent in English football? And what is the difference between those players who are playing in, in the conference to then getting up to League One, League Two, the Championship and so on? Can you put your finger on it? Well, I think a, a lot of it is consistency. Mm. Um, the higher you go up, the players, the players are are more consistent you know that's why they're able to to get to a certain level and sustain it and, and, and stay there but I think a, a massive thing for me is opportunity now there's there's a lot of players that are playing in um playing in non-league football that just haven't had the opportunity or probably at the time when they got their opportunity wasn't quite ready so given the opportunity now would they be able to go and, and step up the levels and and perform I'd say so. That's why you see teams like Hartlepool, you see teams like Sutton who get promoted out of the National League and they're able to go and, and hold their own in, in, the, in the level above and potentially go and get a, another promotion because now they're in a team and at a club where their ability, they're able to, to put consistent performances in and, and then they can go on and, and build from there. So at, at the higher levels, yes, don't get me wrong. There's there's some serious quality and and <clears throat> some some really good players, but there's definitely some some lower down that if if picked by the right clubs, then would definitely go on and, and have really good careers. Yeah, what was your experience of that? Because you have Matt Jarvis on the podcast had a really interesting conversation with him recently. He got released by Millwall, I think, when he was 16. Luckily, got another opportunity. He said his confidence was really low, but he got an opportunity at Gillingham pretty much straight afterwards. Managed to get back in there and then and rebuild his career. And he ended up in the in the Premier League. What was it like for you? Because you were at Leighton Orient, weren't you? But then it became what Gray's Athletic was the, the first club in the, in the Isthmian Premier League, was it at the time? Um, 
It's an order shot, actually. Oh, order um, shot. Yeah. So I started off at, at a Leighton Orient and I did two years YTS, two years professional. Um, at Leighton Orient, I had, it was up and down because I had a, I got into the first team, broke my foot, oh. worked my way to get back, then broke my ankle. So I, it was very stop-starty in terms of my, my first team um, career. And I was very much used as a sub. You know, I probably made about 60 appearances, but probably started three games, oh. you know, and I come on for the last five minutes of a game or if we're winning, go on and, and just cause havoc and run around. If we're losing, go on and just try and create something. And, you know, so I was I was never really looked at as a, a starter hmm. um, and players that were probably behind me would if someone in the first team got injured or whatever, then they'd go, they'd bring the experienced player and, and put them ahead of me. So my first real, real taste of, of playing regularly in first team football was at Aldershot. Hmm. Um, what league was that at the time? So they had just, they would just been promoted from, from the Ryman league. I think it was into the, yeah. into the national league. Wow. Um, so yeah, going and playing at Aldershot, I was there for a couple of years and, and it was brilliant. It was my, it, like I say, it was the first time that I was working, <clears throat> sorry, working hard all week to, to play on the Saturday and play for three points and play in front of a big crowd where you're looked at as, as one of the main men, you know, you're really respected in, in that respect. So yeah, that was my first real taste of it. Um, was that full, was that full time? Were they training full time at that, in the National League at that point? Uh, so it was, it was kind of partly, it was half and half really. So yeah. there were a couple of evenings that we train, and then the younger ones we train during the day as well. So we train three times a week, um, and a game on the Saturday. But the the younger ones would would have an extra day's training because we weren't, we it wasn't our, um, we didn't have a job. So our job was come in, train, train in the morning. And then on the Tuesday and the Thursday, we'd, we'd train in the evenings. That's awesome. And did, did you still believe at that stage, I can be a football league player? What was the, the key? Was it, was it counsel you took from other people? Was it something you said to yourself that you thought, look, I can go again here? And, it was and the goal. It was definitely the goal. Um, I'd, had, I'd had disappointment before. You know, I'd, I'd spent six years um, from 10 to 16 at, at Chelsea and, and getting let go from Chelsea was was a huge, huge blow. Even though near the end, I more or less knew it was coming, but once yeah. it actually happened, that that hit me quite hard. Um, so getting released from Leighton Orient, I don't know, I, I just feel like I was a lot better prepared for it. I was mm. a lot more mature and I was able to, to process it a lot better. And I just had the belief in myself that, you know what, if, if, if I go drop down, work hard, hopefully I'll, I'll get an opportunity. Um, and I had good people around me, you know, good people that would would give me the good advice and probably believed in me more than I believed in myself at the time, if I'm honest. Um, mm -hmm. Well, but, yeah, that's, in, that's interesting. I think Matt said that he had, had someone who quickly took him to Gillingham, believed in him as scout and could see see the potential in him. How important is it when you look back for us not to take other people's opinions too, too readily? Even we respect the coach's opinion, but if someone says you're not good enough, that perhaps you look at it and objectively and look at yourself in the mirror and think 
you know, actually, I, I think I can be good enough. And this is, you know, this is just that person's opinion, because that's difficult when you're young in particular, isn't it? Because you take these things as to heart and they become prophecies because you then start, you know, living up to that prophecy almost of not being good enough sometimes. Most definitely. I think you have to, you have to be able to distinguish between people that are telling you things because for, for an ulterior, have an ulterior motive, you know, people that just want to jump on the bandwagon when you're doing well and, and, disappear when you when you're not doing well but football is all about people you know one manager's opinion of a player doesn't define you as a player someone else you might be exactly what someone else wants so it's hard when you're in it it's hard to to have that that mindset and understand that just because that person doesn't doesn't fancy it as long as you keep doing the right thing someone else will um and you can get caught up in 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 that moment but I was like I say, I was lucky enough that I just I was able to go and enjoy playing football mm. because I, I was playing regularly. So I was able to actually go and enjoy it. And when you're enjoying it, you're able to, to play your best football. And from there, you, you know, you, you start to, to attract attention from from other clubs. And that, again, is, is equally important to not get too carried away with with other people saying, yeah, you know, is he going to go here? Is he going to go there? Is it's just trying to keep on a, on, a, on a level playing field. And someone always said to me, look, if you're a seven every week, you don't have to be a nine, but make sure you're not a four. If you yeah. can be a seven every week and every now and again, you know, you have your outstanding performances, then you've got, you've got a good chance of, of having a career and being able to, to sustain it. If you're, if you're up and down and, and inconsistent, then it, it's a lot, lot harder. Yeah, consistency, as you say, is, is the key in finding a way that you can consistently perform. We mentioned that word enjoyment. How important is that? And were you able to in, enjoy football? Because for all of us as little boys and lots of little girls now as well, they're looking at it and thinking this is the dream job. But then when things become a job, sometimes that, that sort of magic dust disappears. Were you able to retain that throughout your career, do you feel? That like joy of just kicking a ball? I was. I was. Um, I can actually say I really, really enjoyed it. Um, I used to love going into training. Loved playing, loved playing in front of any crowd, whether it's a small crowd, big crowd. I, I just, I, I loved it. And, and I loved the, the pressure situations, you know, that I know a lot of players that don't enjoy those moments. Um, mm. But yeah, that was, that was kind of what I lived for. I lived for that, that bit of pressure on, on games, whether it was a, a, a conference game against Farnborough in a local derby or, or whether or not it was a, a Premier League game away at Tottenham, you know, it was those those pressure moments of what, what I lived for, and I, I just really enjoyed my career. I always tried to play with with a smile on my face. I always I'm always tried to make sure that I literally gave everything. You know, I wouldn't always have a good game naturally. I, I don't think anyone does, but I'd always try to make sure I come off the pitch and and I've given everything. And and I think that's one thing that that a manager or, or fans always, always appreciate it. Yeah, because if you're not enjoying it, people think that maybe you're being kind of sort of, uh, I guess, complacent. But actually, if you're, if you're not enjoying it, you, you feel tense, don't you? And anxious and actually can feel quite tired in what you're trying to do. Drain. Yeah. Football, it comes with a lot of pressures. You know, you, there is a lot, of, a lot of pressure, which a lot of people wouldn't see. You know, mm. day in, day out, it's, it's very... Um, robotic it's very you have to be very disciplined um you have to make a lot of sacrifices and 
listen, I don't say that in terms for people to feel sorry for. Mm. Sorry for you because you're doing the job that the majority of people in, in the world want to be able to do. Have to perform it, don't you? It's not like you can, some people can go into the office and have a, have an off day and hide in the corner. It's different. Yeah, you, you, you can't have as many off days as, as, as someone working in the office, that's for sure. Not if you want to, um, if you want to prolong your career. But yeah, listen, it comes with a, it comes with a lot of pressure. But at the same time, you have you have to be able to deal with that pressure. The best players can can play under pressure, and and the best players do the right things at the right times more consistently than than others, and that's why they play at the top. Where did you stand from all the players you played at all the levels on the nature nurture debate? Because I suppose people always look at that, don't they? Because often we'll say, "Oh, I couldn't have done that because I'm not as quick as as him or her," and that was that person's naturally more talented. Do you think? There is such a thing as players that were, were intrinsically more talented, or do you think that, that ultimately a lot of it boils down to hard work when you look at look at their practices and their regimes in detail? Um, I, I definitely think that some some players are naturally gifted. Some they, it, there's no doubt about it. Some players, uh, their their fitness levels, they've got naturally good um, yeah. cardio. Aerobic, yeah, good cardio, and technically they just they can do things with a ball that. I don't know how they do it, but they, they can manipulate a ball in a way that I don't think if I if I practiced it for, for 20 odd years, I would be able to do. So <laughs> I definitely think there is an element of of natural ability. But at the same time, I see players work tirelessly. You know, I grew up with Jermaine Defoe and, and Leon Knight, who mm. probably two of the most outstanding players for my age group that I, I'd, I'd ever seen and, and for any other age group. You know, they were a cut above the rest, you could say, in in what they could do. But even at 11, 12 years old, things that they were doing, I was like, how? How for a 12-year-old kid are you able to, to control it, swivel on it, and just put it in the top corner? with eff- It looked effortless. You know, it literally looked effortless. So it's no surprise to see Jermaine go on and have the career that, that he had because... He was naturally, he naturally had, had ability, but at the same time, he probably worked harder, if, you know, just as hard, if not harder than, than anyone I know. So, yeah, yeah wonderful career he's, he's had as well. And I suppose, was he inspiring in the sense that English football's changing, but at the time it was perceived that strikers had to be big and burly, wasn't it? I guess 15, 20 years ago, did you, did you suffer from sort of prejudice against that a little bit? Did people say you're not big enough to, to make it? But someone like Defoe, People like Michael Owen kind of proved that theory wrong, I suppose, even back then. Yeah, and, and there was a few. You know, Kevin Phillips was one that I used to watch, Paul Dickoff, mm. Ian Wright even. You know, there was yeah. there was plenty of strikers around that I looked at and I thought, right, they're the ones who I, I need to kind of watch and learn from because they're they're in in the in the same build as me, you know. Don't get me wrong, I'm probably smaller than all of them. But we you stack, know, I, look at you there, you've got <laughs> bulging delts and, and biceps there. I was I was able I was good in the air. I was always very good in the air for for my size, and I knew that I had to I had to work on my physical strength because you're coming up against six foot two, six foot three defenders who are physically strong and will look to try and beat you up. You know, so mm. the game was changing, and Ian like Ian Wright was my hero. Um, but like I say, I used yeah. to watch. I was Chelsea. Oh. Chelsea. <laughs> But yeah, it's it's 
probably not a, a good mix, but yeah, Mark, Mark, Mark Steen when we were kids was it, it was the Chelsea striker, Mark, I guess. Or, yeah. Mark Steen and John Spencer, yeah. you know, at Chelsea, who I used to watch loads of, watch absolute loads of them, and and just try and learn. Then we had Zola, mm. um, and like you say, yeah, yeah. So that's the precedent. at Chelsea we had loads of them. We had Graham Lasso, we had Dennis Wise, all small players, you know. So even that gave you the it gave you a lift to think, you know what? You don't have to be six foot plus to, to make a career. But in your position, you have to be able to look after yourself. That was kind of the most important thing is, as long as you can look after yourself, you've, you've got half a chance. And then the rest is is making sure that you you perfect the art of, of whatever position you're playing in. It's interesting talking about positions and the evolution because Matt Jarvis was saying that he felt during his career he almost got phased out because he was this tricky winger and it became 4-3-3 and, you know, predominantly in... You were kind of a wide forward, not a winger. And he was always like, you know, get you on the touchline and, and go down the wing. For you, did you grow up playing in a two? And then was there an evolution? Or I suppose it depends where you were playing. But did it become having to adapt to be a central striker on your own, maybe, and, and, and interact with, with different players? Yeah, it was. It was very much about adapting to, to different positions. I, I'd always played as a two. Um, with, yeah, you know, one go short, one go behind. <laughs> played played off, the, off the big man or... At Peterborough, I was the big man, which was really? <laughs> which was strange, yeah. <laughs> but I was the I was the target man, you know. I'd I'd be the one that would win win the headers and and flick it on for Craig. So when I when I moved to Hull, uh, we then started to play different formations, and I'd play. I actually played left of a three, mm. you know, um, which was, was totally totally different, totally foreign to me. I'd either play left of a three or I'd play as a as a winger. Which I'd never done in my career. Um, right. What was that? What was that like? Because I suppose you got a bit of pace, so they thought maybe that's the the place. But it's a different mentally. It's the, your vision of the totally. field is completely different, isn't it? Yeah, it's totally different, and it's um, it was it was tough, but I, I loved it. I, I really enjoyed it, and my my goal it would you was never going to score loads of goals from those positions um, like I'd been used to doing when I was playing in a two at Peterborough but you had different responsibilities and I was I've always been a, a player that I look at the team first and as long as the team's doing well I'm kind of happy you know other people used to say listen you're you're a striker and all you're going to be judged on is is your goal return so you just you have to kind of be selfish and, and just concentrate on that but I was more than happy to to be moved out and, and play wide left or play wide right or or play left or right of a three I really enjoyed learning new positions and, and trying to perfect perfect those. So it can be difficult. It can be difficult if, if that's not your preferred position. And managers will always, always look at, if you're a striker, managers will always look at, at your goal return. You know, I definitely had that at Hull when Steve Bruce came in. He definitely looked and thought, right, I need to, I need 20 goal a season men. Um, and I, I, I wasn't doing that at Hull. I was... A, a workhorse that would do my best for the team. I'd, I'd nick a few goals, but being shipped out to, to different positions, my my stats weren't weren't anywhere near that. So, yeah, you, I definitely paid the price for it at at some point. But I look back at my career, and I'm you know I'm more than happy, and I, I don't think I'd I'd change anything. Yeah, it's interesting the sort of cycles, and you'll know this as well. Growing up in the '90s, you suddenly see 
walking around the streets now, haircuts and fashions coming back from, from when we were kids. So I guess formations might come back and 442, who knows, might come back in as a point of difference sometime for people for people looking at it. Because that's that's interesting, isn't it? Because it was 442 entrenched in, in culture when we were growing up. It was, and, and, and now everyone's looking at the, the 352 or the 433. And, you know, there's loads of different weird and wonderful formations that, for some reason, everyone seems to think that they can play three at the back now. Everyone seems to think that they can play out from the back. And it comes from the best best managers. You know, you look at your Pep Guardiola's and, and they can do it because they've got the best players and, and they've studied the art of doing it. You know, in Spain, they, they were doing it for years. You know, technically, they're, they're, they're just so good. So they were he's, he's been able to... to bring it over, bring it to Germany and then bring it to, to England. I see a lot of teams try and do it and it can't do it. And I, I think the reason they can't do it is because managers, not all managers understand how to, mm. how to do it. Like Darren Ferguson's who I played under and, and worked with at Peterborough. And he's very good at it. You know, he's, he gives you, everyone knows their their positions and it's almost mechanical mm. you know and if you it's, it's it's more about in the transition when you when it breaks down and when you lose the ball that you're in the right positions to be able to go and regain it and put pressure on the ball really early when i see a lot of teams do it they don't know where to be and when it does turn over they end up conceding from it because they're all in the wrong positions yeah, clarity of understanding what you're doing is interesting because I'm a Manchester United fan. Obviously, Ralph Rangnick has brought in the uh, unheralded 4-2-2-2 formation, <laughs> which the players look as confused as the as the pundits and the fans at the moment. But hopefully, we'll get there. We're coming off a, a one 0 scraped victory over over Aston Villa. It's interesting yeah. that isn't it the, the, the sort of fashion of of following a formation, like you say, oh Barcelona did this, so we should do that, but. It's almost another line of theory that you don't see that often. And maybe you see it in the FA Cup when underdogs play against Premier League teams. It's like, no, no, we're not going to play you at your game. We're going to try and do something different. Are you surprised that underdogs, even in the Premier League, sometimes like, bless them, you know, Norwich City have, have come up and almost gone toe-to-toe. It's like going toe-to-toe with Mike Tyson in his prime. They'll go up against Chelsea or whatever and, and end up losing 7-0. And you think maybe, maybe sort of sitting back a bit might not have been the best of and getting it in the channels every now and again. Yeah, I think I think the the lower the lower ranked teams when they play against the the higher ranked teams, I think a there's a certain element of you know what let's let's go and let's go and show them what we're about you know the the lower ranked team always looks at the the bigger team and thinks they're arrogant they think they've beat us already blah 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 you've already got that you know you've you can already use that to your advantage. But I think a, a lot of the lower lower league teams and, and the non-league teams, I think they just simplify it. They just simplify the game. They make themselves hard to beat and they just work hard. Mm. And that stuns the, the bigger clubs. Newcastle had it the other day. You know, Newcastle was stunned by Cambridge because yeah. Cambridge just went out. They kept it. They simplified the game. They know what they're good at and, and they're not trying to do anything out of character. They're doing what they do week in, week out, and and they work hard, and they'll put their bodies on the line. They'll put their they'll put themselves about, and I don't think Newcastle were quite expecting that, and they end up they end up getting turned over from it. Yeah, that massive Newcastle crowd as well is a positive for them when it's going well, but it's kind of turns against them that tension 
creeps in with all with all those all those people um there what was that like scoring in front of a crowd that must be is that the the ultimate feeling as a, a footballer yeah that was um by far the 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 best feeling you know it's just and it didn't matter where it was or, or who it was who it was for who it was against just scoring and that that few seconds after you score a goal was you know it, it's it's the best the best feeling i look at I, I, there's certain certain goals that I can remember, and I can remember the celebrations. I can remember the the feeling. I, if you could bottle that feeling up, it would be it would be priceless. Mm. It really would because it was by far the the best feeling in in the world, and that's probably one of the things that I miss most is sure that feeling. You know that feeling of scoring a goal in front of a in front of a, a big crowd and. That you know that that embrace with your teammates. Um, that's definitely the the thing I, I think I miss miss the most. Yeah, how have you how have you? Because I've worked with you for a couple of years now at Sky Sports as a analyst, and you're doing really well there. But how have you found the transition out of, of being a player? It was quite gradual for you, wasn't it? In a sense, did that did that help? Because you ended up playing at Ebbsfleet in non-league. So it was, did you see it coming more? Were you able to uh, adapt to that, or do you physiologically you still just miss that high? Because everyday life can be a bit boring, I'd imagine, after you get those. There's highs and the lows, I suppose. Being footballer is more of a, a roller coaster, whereas life's kind of more of a, a level. Yeah, life is definitely um, a lot more of a plainer sailing, um, mm. less pressure. Um, but I've the transition for me was was fairly smooth. You know, I, I was I was playing at Epsley, as you said, um, in in the national league, and then I was coming to the end of my career anyway. I knew that. Um, and I was lucky enough to play under Daryl McMahon, who's, who's one of my good friends. And, and he said, look, you know, I'd, I'd like you to come on board and, and be part of the coaching staff. So going from playing to, to them being a, a coach, um, that transition was, was smooth. And I was in an environment that, a really good environment with people that I knew, people that I could learn from, people that wanted to, wanted to help me and wanted to see me do, do well. So going into that and then from from there then moving on to to being at Peterborough for a couple of years and again I was in a good environment with a management staff that, that I knew Mark Tyler is the goalkeeping coach who I'd played with Darren Ferguson was obviously my manager for for many years so yeah again I was in an environment and Gavin Strachan Gavin Strachan was the assistant manager who again I, I, I'd played with so going back to probably my you know that was probably my home, if I'm honest. That's that's the place I enjoyed my football the most, and yeah. the fans the fans really really took to me and, and still do. So it was just the the transition from them being being a player to to then trying to carve out a career in coaching was really really smooth. the The most difficult part was was leaving Peterborough, and then what where where do I go next? You know, I was I was looking at, at going back into coaching. Yeah, um, pandemic hit as well. And I, and it was it was it was purely by I think just my personality in is what's got me into into the punditry now. Mm. You know, I did, I did the day after I was I was let go by Peterborough. I did an interview for for Sky Sports and just spoke about COVID and and how COVID's affected football and. You know how I'm. I'm one of the casualties from from that, yeah. and 
I think it was my personality that that kind of probably attracted attracted some of the producers to to say, you know what, let's let's get him in and and get him to watch a few games. And I gotta say, Nick Howes was was huge for me. You know, um, Howes was producers at Sky, one of the head producers at Sky Sports News. Yeah, yeah. So years ago, um, when I was playing at Peterborough, he had his stag do at Weirsland oh. and he had his stag do. So Dougie Keane, obviously, who worked at Sky Sports, was, was good friends with him. They were really good friends with George Boyd. And when I scored, I scored against Yeovil. We won one now. I scored. And I went over and celebrated with him. And he was, he was just as a French maid. <laughs> Brilliant. When I celebrated yeah, with him. These things, these, it's interesting. You always have to be, treat people well and, uh, and kind of be on form, don't you, in life? Because you never know when those opportunities come back. <laughs> It's so strange because 15 years later, I'm now looking to, to get into media and he's the head producer. He's one of the head producers at Sky Sports. Yeah. And he remembers that moment when I went over and, and shared that moment with him. And he's like, do you know what? Is it, I, I think if you're, if you're a good person in life, then good things tend to, to come your way and, and you're able to get opportunities that you possibly wouldn't get if you was a bit of a, a bit of a wrong and so Debbie Downer, yeah, come in and bring everyone down, yeah. But that's the thing. Yeah. You bring great energy, you bring great insight, and and, and you're kind of at the, as you say the foothills of a, a media career. But you bring great energy, and I think when people enjoy you coming around, particularly in in a live TV experience or live radio, whatever it may be, people want that that lift of of energy, a bit like a dressing room, I suppose. There's parallels there, isn't there? Well, that's that. De- yeah, there's definitely there's definitely a connection there. You know, being um being a person that people want to be around is is key. And especially in football, you know, there's 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 tough times in football. And whether you're a player or whether you're a, a coach, to be to be someone that, that people want to be around and and can lift the spirits and lift the moods of of dressing rooms is is key. And it was something that I always seem to find myself doing. I was I was a, a lively character, you can say in a, in a dressing room, yeah, and I, I, I've always been a person that I'm always smiling. I always try and look at look at the positives of of any situation, and it's it's definitely stood me in good stead. And luckily for me now, I'm I'm able to to go on the screen like yourself and and constantly smile and and talk about football because you know that's that's my first love and 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 my passion. So to be able to to put the two things together is 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 a pleasure. Well, it's great to have you along, and it's great to have company as well. Because during the uh, the pandemic, we've gone down mainly to solo presenting. We used to have partners, so actually just having that that company during a busy afternoon, like a Sunday afternoon, is is fa- is fantastic as as well. Are you st- have you still got coaching ambitions as well? Management ambitions? How do you how do you look at that? I think it depends on on what opportunities I get. Um, that's that's really really what it's all down to. I've gone for a few roles that I feel that I probably should have got um, and didn't. And and then, like I say, I've, I've entered the meet this this media world, and and I love it. You know, I'm really enjoying it. I I enjoy going out and, and talking. I enjoy the, the people that I'm meeting. You know, like yourself. I, I've met so many really really good people that I, I would have never never come across in 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 coaching. You know, if I was just coaching. So this this this. Uh, world that I've kind of ended into now I'm I'm really enjoying it and 
it's now something that I'm looking at and thinking this and I want to, I want to try and see where this can go. You know, I want to, I want to see how, how far I can take it really. Ian Wright was your footballing kind of model, role model. What, what about uh, pundits? Is there any, anyone you look up to that you admire for either their insight or their personality or both? I think there's, there's, there's lots, you know, obviously Wright is brilliant at, at the yeah. punditry, Wright Ian Sheeran, who would, ironically enough, the two that I used to watch you know, they were two heroes and, and now they're both on on the screen. Um but more strike yeah, it seems to be more strikers as pundits. It used to be defenders, it seems to be, but now it seems to be a lot of uh, a lot of strikers. Yeah, I think strikers can put their stats on the table. Listen, Michael's Michael Richards has done absolutely amazing, you know. Um and I'm really enjoying enjoying seeing seeing the, the women now. You know, obviously Laura Woods, Alex Scott, um Sue Smith, you know, I'm I'm really enjoying Join seeing them and Leanne Sanderson, all of all of those, really now starting to a bring the women's game forward and change the perception that that a lot of men have of of women in football. You know, I have this debate all the time on on social media where where people just naturally think that women don't know anything about football and that for, you know, yeah. like not everyone. The perception has definitely definitely changed a lot, but there's still there's still a lot of a lot of people that that need to change and the ignorance needs to needs to be removed so seeing seeing all of those do so well and and emma hayes coming on the doing the commentary and great great insight yeah when she does she breaks oh, it down amazing. she's amazing you know it's it's such a breath of fresh air to to listen to someone who a people wouldn't expect it you know not people wouldn't expect it but there there's a lot of people that would would say that because she's a, a woman in the women's game you know wouldn't be able to speak on on men's football her her insight her knowledge her understanding of the game her, her understanding of, of everything is is first class you know i absolutely love love listening to her and like i say i, I just think that there's there, there's certain certain commentators or certain pundits that i look at and i think right that's where where i want to aspire to get to you know, I've, I've only been doing it for for a couple of years, and there's a lot of work that, that goes into it. It's not as easy as it looks, um, and you have to work hard at it. You know, I enjoy that side of it. I enjoy going into something that is a bit of the unknown. I enjoy doing all my prep for for a game or or for for a show. That side of it is it's kind of what I live for. It's 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 like training. It's it's yeah. like going and training every day. You know, going and doing your prep and stuff is. I, I love that side of it. Does it feel like to you that it is more open punditry than perhaps in the past? Because you mentioned stats. It felt like in the past you had to have a certain number of league titles on the table or whatever. Whereas now it's you mentioned that the female pundits is based more on what you have to say, how you analyse a game. Because as we've seen in football management, it's not always the best players that become the best managers. And I think we're seeing that in, in punditry, aren't they? Gary Neville obviously has got a lot of trophies at Manchester United, but wasn't a flamboyant player per se. But he's, he's sort of uh, been a, a leader in the fit field because of his attention to detail and his ability to analyze things. I think same as same as um, football media, it's not for everyone. Mm. I think you have to have a certain certain character, you have to have a certain personality and you have to be able to transform that or transfer that, that personality onto the screen, you know, and I, I don't think just because you've, you've played the game and just because you've played the game at a high level, you you naturally can, can go and be a pundit or, or be a commentator. So I think different characters suit suit different 
different jobs and and definitely to to be on 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 the screen and, and be a pundit you definitely have to have a certain certain character it's, it's definitely not about about what you've done don't get me wrong it helps and it helps especially when you go into to certain situations and and you're getting a bit of banter it always helps to be able to to throw a few a few stats out there and throw a few promotions in there but mainly it's it's about making sure that you yourself you know and you, you're able to be yourself on the screen but at the same time in being yourself make sure you know your stuff make sure you've done the work make sure you you're up to date with with everything uh, everything that's going on so that you're not just on there because you you used to kick a, a bag of wind about you know you're <laughs> actually on there on on merit yeah absolutely you do you do your due diligence for sure it's interesting that isn't it because you know in, in punditry on tv people can critique you on social media but i suppose you're used to that as a footballer how comfortable have you been as a very positive guy being i guess holding players in judgment maybe sometimes players you've played with and maybe offering constructive criticism in your role as a pundit because you have to be you have to be honest but you don't want to be seen to, to be i mean it must have been awkward when you first started just being critical of people how did you find that that process yeah that was that was probably the the most difficult thing is just all of a sudden i'm 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 criticizing people you know and listen i'm not one that goes and i don't i don't go and pick people out um purposely unless they deserve it but i don't go and and, and pick people out individually you know I'll, I'll talk more about the team and i'm, I'm not afraid to to say what i think you know I've, I've never been afraid to to say to speak honestly and i think people respect that more people respect your your honesty more um if you've got evidence with it, you make a point, then you back it up with evidence and, and compare yeah, You have to be able to back it up. You know, don't just go and... Listen, there are some that just go and, and make some ludicrous comments. He's um, rubbish. She's rubbish. Well, yeah. yeah. And it's, it's... Listen, you're on there because you're able to, to give an opinion from, from a player's perspective and a player's point of view. But at the same time, you can, you can back it up with actual knowledge of being in, in certain situations. You know, it's 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 a it's a valuable in, insight that you can give. So it's making sure that you get that across um, and bring what you're bring what you're there to bring. You know, I'm there to talk about to talk about football and to talk about different formations, different abilities, different just different elements of the game that I've experienced. You know, that I've actually lived. So bring that because the viewer that hasn't necessarily been in that position. So. That's that's what I'm there to do. I'm not there to just const to, to just criticize people and and say he's rubbish or he's rubbish. I'm there to give a a, a view and and give an understanding to to people that might might not be able to understand stand different things. Yeah, I think as long as you employ that empathy for the players and understand their position and are sort of with that criticism constructive. I think I, I love having pundits along because I think you have lived that. You've walked the walk. I think difficulty in in modern life there's an element of sensationalism where journalists like myself who've you know, what the most I ever earned playing football was like 10 quid, 20 quid or whatever on a on a Saturday when I was a teenager before I went to university. It's like, you know, I feel very uncomfortable holding people to account when I've, you know, when you haven't got that experience in the bank. I think you have to be a little bit careful with that. I think with quick, there's a sensationalism about things now of, of jumping on people. And you see that a lot on social media and Twitter about people being, you know, absolutist in their definition of this person's rubbish, this person's great, whatever it it may be you just quickly on the on the coaching you said about um going for some from jobs as a black man have you felt any sense of of 
prejudice or have you felt a lack of belief in yourself because you don't see the faces representative of your background? How, how do you look at that situation in football and, and society? Well, yeah, I, it, that was definitely a, a factor, even in getting involved in coaching. You know, I, I looked and I thought, is there really a pathway for, for me um, in coaching? There wasn't many, many black coaches. There's even fewer black managers. So it was definitely something that I looked at and thought, is there a pathway for me? And I was just lucky that I was, I was around good people. You know, Darryl McMahon was brilliant for me um, in saying, look, I want you to, to come and be, be my first team coach. Darren Ferguson, again, was brilliant for me in, in bringing me in and, and making me first team coach at, at Peterborough. So I, I, was, I was at two clubs that I was, I was known and I was comfortable with. You know, I, was at, I went to Chelsea for, for a little while and, and Neil Bath brought me in and, and I was able to go and tra- uh, coach with the, with the under-16s and the under-18s. Yeah. And again, everything I've been coaching-wise, I've have been clubs that I've been at. Now, when it comes to now going to somewhere where I'm not known and I don't know all the people, now all of a sudden it's it's a lot harder. You know, I've I've almost been spoiled in in the in the first few appointments that I've had because they've all been clubs that I've I've played for or that I've been at um, and I'm familiar with and are, are familiar with me. Now all of a sudden, once I left Peterborough it was right now I'm going into interviews with people that I don't know, that I've not necessarily worked with, that, you know, might know me as a player, but don't know me as a character, you know, don't know my personality. So it's it's definitely been a lot, lot harder um, and harder than I, I even expected it to be, if I'm honest. Um, do you think that? Do you think it's and then don't name particular people, but is it um, a conscious discrimination, or sometimes, or do you think it's subconscious that people have an idea of of what a manager looks like? Maybe it's a, a grey-haired white guy. Do you think that's in their head sometimes when you when you go? Yeah, they don't even realise it's there, but that's that's affecting their their analysis of, of interviewees. Most definitely, I, I definitely think that that there's a perception, and and people look and think right. Does like do I look like? I could manage a football club. Now, a couple, a couple of the appointments that I went for, if you look at who they actually gave the job to, they just went down the, the typical typical route of a, a, an older manager who, yes, experience-wise, definitely has more experience, but in terms of his philosophy... <laughs> it didn't last very long, that's for sure. Um, but... <clears throat> the, their philosophy, their outlook on football, I, I, I wouldn't, their work rate, you know, the, the, how much time they're prepared to put in to, to making sure that, that their team's prepared. I, 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 I challenge any of those teams to, to have put a manager in place that, that would have been better than me at, at those times. So, yes, I think there is a, a, an element of discrimination there, but... Listen, I'm, I'm not going to cry about it. You, you have to, you roll the punches and if, if one door closes, it, hopefully an, another couple open. And for me, that's exactly what happened. You know, the door closed from, from coaching side, but the media door opened and it was, it was a case of, right, let me get through this door and let me now make, make sure that I make this work and, and give everything that I've got in, in making sure that I improve, I get better and I'm someone that, a people want to watch and, and and people people want to employ and so far it's it's going well. 
Yeah, you've got you great. You're effervescent, and it's it's fantastic to have you. It's interesting. I think speaking as a white guy, it's very difficult for me to say this, but for young black boys, what you're saying is, yeah, there's an, there's an unfairness, but don't let it stop you trying. That's the key message, isn't it? Because while you battle for that equality, you also need to keep people knowing it is possible because you've been successful. There's other black people being successful. You need to keep trying. You can't give up. Be defeatist. Hundred percent, and and that is that's. I was exactly the same as a player as I am as as a man, you know. Um, I'll, I'll give everything. I'll try my best at everything I do, regardless of of whether um the odds are stacked against me or not. Give give everything and and do your best. Don't be again like we said earlier on. Don't be disappointed by other people's opinions. You know, everyone's going to have an opinion. People have an opinion of me now do, in doing what I'm doing. Some will like me, some won't like me. It's life. I'm, I'm not, yeah, that's that's just life. And more often than not, if 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 you have got people that dislike you, you're obviously doing something wrong because they they go out of their way to to let you know that they don't like you, yeah. but they still. So yeah, listen. It's I, I think the main thing is just make sure that whatever it is that you choose to do you give it everything, give it everything. And if it doesn't work out, then as a player, I always said, if I, if I don't make it to the highest level, it will be because that I got to the level that my ability and my opportunities got me to. But everything else, I, I worked as hard as I could to, to get as, as, as far as I can. And it's no different in what I'm doing now. I, I work tirelessly to, to make sure that I know my stuff, that I'm on top of things. And wherever I get to, wherever, wherever it takes me, it is where it takes me. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll do everything that I can to, to, to be successful in it and, and see where we go from there. Yeah, people's opinions are important, but there's other, there's other opinions out there. You can, you can move on as, as well. My mum always said to me, said, if, you, if I didn't get a job or someone didn't like my presenting, it'd always be, oh, they, you probably remind them of someone that bullied them at school. <laughs> She's a pessimist, but she'd always be like, oh, you just don't, they just don't like you for whatever reason. It's just, you have to, have to kind of take that sometimes. You can't try and convince other people who just, who are set in their, in their ways. And it's interesting talking about keep trying because Denzel Washington's got that great, I think a speech on the internet you can watch from an inauguration at a college or a high school in the States. And he yeah. says, if you, if you don't fail, you're not even trying. So that's a good, yeah. a good, a good thing. Keep, keep taking shots as we say in football as well. You'll score eventually. I'm very much that like, I love all the the um, motivational motivational videos. Denzel Washington is he's got a few, you know, yeah. he's got the forward one, um, and they're brilliant. And I there's something that I listen to and I use a lot um, in terms of motivation and even just times when I might I might not feel great, you know, because we all have it. Mm. We all have times where where we don't necessarily feel great. And the period between being at Peterborough and actually really start really doing the media was really was a really difficult time for me. You know, I I, I was really quite low mm. and I just I looked and I thought, where where am I going? I'm I'm not getting an opportunity coaching wise because I don't have the experience. I've got a couple of years at Peterborough and picking an egg, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but it's I, I can't get the experience if I'm not given an opportunity. Um the media isn't as as consistent as as I'd like and as I I, I, I need. So it was a difficult period. That transition was was quite difficult for me, but I I I used to watch these motivational videos all the time. Um 
and they just lifted me and and then these they inspired me to to just keep going really and that along with with having good people around me speaking to people and and asking a question you know I'm I I was always one that if you don't ask you don't get no. and I'm probably a pain sometimes you know I, I probably um, with some of the producers, they probably squeaky, look at the squeaky wheel, gets the oil, yeah. That's yeah, the they're probably like, it's Aaron again. But <laughs> listen, I'm eager. I'm eager yeah. to, I always want to want to improve. And once I do, I do one and then I want to, I want to go and build on it and I want to build on it and build on it. And I'm always trying to improve myself and, and try and at, at, along the way, try and help others improve, improve mm. around me. So. Yeah, I, just going back to to the Denzel Washington thing, that was those those speeches have been have been key for me because you know inspirational videos are, are a huge part of of what you know what I bring. I yeah, think. yeah, no, it's, it's it's key. I think people like Denzel Washington, there's Matthew McConaughey has one online as well, and I think that actors have been through that serious judgment as well, and through a, quite a stressful process of being in the public eye. So they've got some interesting things to say and. I like kind of the movie clips as well. Al Pacino's speech in any given Sunday is great just before they go out for that final. Of Rocky Balboa, it wasn't the best Balboa speech to his son is good as well, I think, you know. Yeah, some of them speeches, literally, you can, they'll, they'll be around forever. And certain speeches just, they hit you differently, you know. And if you find one that really inspires you, and and when you're in in a, in a dark place or in it, you know you're not feeling yourself. If you find one that can lift you and and get you back on that horse, then hang on to it and and use it at every opportunity because they're powerful. You know they're they're powerful tools. And I found going when I went into coaching, I was able to use some of those some of the things that I picked up from those inspirational videos and the motivational videos. I was able to to kind of take it in and regurgitate it to, to my players Brilliant. and and it helped them you know so yeah I think those, those things are, are brilliant and that's that's shows the power of, of social media and YouTube and, and that kind of world in that we get an insight now into the likes of a Denzel Washington and a Matthew McConaughey and, and Will Smith mm. you know we would have never got the insight into those those people positive social media definitely quickly before we go because i've got to wrap up I've got a work call unfortunately we could talk forever i we'll have to do it again in the future but you, you look physically fit have you kept physically fit has that been key for your mentality as you go through those difficult times do you think exercise is that they say it's a powerful antidepressant yeah i, I always looked and i thought i don't want to be you know once i finish playing i don't want to now blow up and you know, yeah. be waddling around so yeah I, I i look after myself i've always i've always eaten eaten well and and kept looked after myself in that respect um i work out i go and have a kick about uh, i had a kick about yesterday funny enough and i think an 18 year old 17 18 year old wanted to kick lumps out of me and <laughs> you gotta be careful with that don't get injured like yeah, I, do. <laughs> I know I, I thought of you straight away yeah. um so yeah I, you definitely have to i feel my age now that's for sure but yeah i think it's like sure yeah it's important to make sure that you look after yourself. You know, your your mental health as well as your physical health is 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 very important. And I just make sure I keep on top of it. And hopefully, I look half decent when I'm when I'm on the screen as well. Look great, looking great in those suits. You're showing us up actually. That's on, on that note. Yeah, <laughs> my game. And um, where can we follow you, Aaron? What's the best place? Instagram, Twitter. You're, you're active there, aren't you? 
So yeah, Instagram and Twitter. Instagram is Aaron McLean official, um, and Twitter is A Nine Mac. So yeah, on both of those platforms, uh, you can find me. I've got a new. Po- I've got a podcast coming out shortly. Oh, oh awesome! Um, that'll be coming. I'm hoping in the next two to three weeks that'll be that'll be launched. So interview footballers or is it? Different? It's a mixture. It's a mixture. So it's going to be sports people. It's going to be TV personalities. It's it's going to be a, a mixture across the board. I, I didn't want to pigeonhole pigeonhole it. I just thought I know a lot of people and a lot of successful people. Um, so I just want to want to get their stories out. Really. Um, so. Yeah, my first one. My first one's going to be with Mark Wright. Oh, cool. Um, yeah. And yeah, I'm hoping that that will will go live in a, two to three weeks. Uh, it's called No Boundaries, but yeah, I'll, it will be posted all over my socials, and I'll, I'll be sure to to let you know so you can you can spread the word for me. Absolutely, No Boundaries, fantastic. Erin, thank you very much. Erin McLean, appreciate your time, mate. Thank you. Good to see you. Love that guy, Aaron McLean. Wonderful podcast conversation. Really enjoyed that. Hope you did too. Just very effervescent, upbeat character and optimistic in those words, I suppose, to to people who maybe feel that society isn't always favorable to them, like young black men in particular in Aaron's case. I think that'll be inspiring that you don't give up, you keep swinging, you keep trying. And that stuff about, I think for all of us, about opinions is something you come back to a lot of conversations with elite athletes about particularly team games actually where there's a finite number of spots on a team and then coaches have even beyond the data their sort of preferences for who they want to play in that team how they want to play perhaps individual nuance of, of coaches but how you don't take those opinions to heart maybe take some constructive feedback to develop and get better but don't take those kind of summative statements about you to heart you're not good enough etc and uh, go roll on work on it develop and find someone who who does embrace you. It's, it's fascinating that, isn't it? Um, love to know what you think. Get in touch, rate the podcast, write a review on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you're listening to. Would really appreciate that. Or just pass it on to a friend. And I hope you got something out of that as well and, and continue to look forward to working with, with Erin McLean as well. Thank you for being here. Thank you to the sponsors of the podcast, Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham and their sister company, Serena Fee. They're specialists in some of the finest home entertainment brands, providing solutions based around high-quality customer service and installations. Remember, through Serena V Consortium, a bespoke home entertainment system, whatever suits your needs. It doesn't have to be just Bang Olufsen's world-renowned high-quality equipment. could be a big screen from a, another brand, et cetera, et cetera. Also, thank you to Cytoplan. And if you are looking to optimize your immunity at this time of year, in the winter in the Northern Hemisphere, still at least, still a lot of respiratory conditions as well as COVID-19 around. But if you're looking to optimize your immunity, head to cytoplan.co.uk, C-Y-T-O-P-L-A-N.co.uk. There's a 30% discount associated with the podcast on first purchase, becomes a 10% discount thereafter. And the code is Draper10R. So it's my last name, D-R-A-P-E-R all capital letters, the numerals one zero and the capital letter R. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I hope you have a great week. Bye for now.